Welcome back to the Xenia Brief Podcast. I'm your host, Xenia, and I am so excited to welcome you to episode 200. I'm so grateful for the sacred space that we get to share together, for all the growth going on within the episodes of this podcast and the remembering that unfolds for me, for the person I'm interviewing, and for you in the process. I have been planning to record a solo episode or perhaps one where my husband interviews me to celebrate this milestone of 200 episodes and there's so many things up in the air and so many changes coming to my personal life, to my business, that I decided to hold off on that for a little bit and it felt so right to release this interview with Sophie Sheesh today. Sophie is a multi-talented entrepreneur, author, speaker, journalist, and psychologist. She has previously been a guest on episode 118, and it's such a powerful one. It was all about managing your energy instead of managing your time and switching to this more intuitive, feminine way of organizing all of your life, really business and personal, organizing your goals and what's important to you. I highly recommend you check out episode 118 in tandem with this one. A little bit more about Sophie. She is a French import, always American by heart. She escaped a crazy family as soon as she could. She's an entrepreneur by breed, starting a pencil trading business by the age of six and a clown and princess business for birthday parties by the time she was 12. And it never stopped, starting with $11 in her pocket. She grew an innovative spa concept to 12 locations in LA and New York and $9 million in revenue. We go more into this particular journey in the previous episode we recorded together. Sophie's new venture, BeCurrent, helps people with lots of ideas execute the meaningful ones. She has helped craft businesses and social ventures of all shapes and sizes, written for several renowned international publications, and served as a coach for high-powered entrepreneurs and executives and large corporations. We discuss so many beautiful things from healing your past to plant medicine healing, connecting to the land you're on, surrendering your plans to the divine. I share my experience with the BeCurrent methodology, and Sophie shares the synchronicity-filled story of leaving Paris to come to California and why she has recently moved to Arizona. We talk about releasing the lies that we tell ourselves finding the balance between feminine and masculine in business and life, and using social media not as a place to get something, but as a place to give, connect, and create. I would love to see your takeaways from this episode. When you share it, please tag at sophiesheesh and at xenia.brief. I'm going to link everything we discuss in the show notes on xeniabrief.com, as well as anywhere you're listening to this podcast in the show notes. Enjoy this conversation with Sophie, and I'll talk to you next week in episode 201. I can't believe we pushed it past 200, celebrating you, celebrating this community, celebrating my commitment that has been so beautifully supported by my husband, celebrating all of the incredible guests I've had a chance to interview. It's been an incredible experience, and I'm definitely called to share more about my podcasting journey, so if that's something you want to hear more about or maybe have specific questions, DM me. I'd love to hear from you. And if you're called to support this show, the best way to do that is to leave a rating and a review on the Apple Podcasts app. 
as well as to share it with your friends. If there's something that particularly moves you in an episode, text the link to a friend, spreading the word that way to find those who are meant to be connected with these conversations is the most beautiful way to grow it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And here's Sophie Sheesh. Welcome back to my podcast. It has been almost two years. And since the last time we spoke on this platform, there's been so many interesting happenings in our lives, starting with the workshop that we led together on managing your energy, not your time, that was inspired by our podcast conversation. It was one of the most popular workshops that I've personally held space for, and it was such a magical experience to co-create with you, to co-lead with you, and to just see all the ripples that happened from it to everybody who participated, but also to my own life, because you switched me to the current system, which is the productivity system you've created, to Trello, and I still use it every single day. So perhaps we start there. What are some interesting things and kind of changes and detours that have happened since we last spoke with be current and with what's taking your energy and your time these days. Has it really? Hi. <laughs> Has it really been two years? Oh my God. As you said that, I was like two years. Yes. So what have I been doing? You know, be current is a, it's a staple that probably will not go away. I'm doing other things because um, that's, what I am, <laughs> another do something else kind of person a little bit to uh, when something inspires me, I follow it. So I've started a pickleball company <laughs> and I've started a VA company. And so I, I start companies a little bit like some people um, prepare dinner a little bit, <laughs> just kind of what's present and what wants to be. And But Be Current is kind of a, it's a, it's a line through because it has a way of thinking about projects in a way that gets them done, that I find elegant, that I find just easy to get stuff done. So I tend to, I always come back to that. Pickleball company? I mean, we've spoken about pickleball last time and our shared passion for it, but a pickleball company? Yes, it's called Point Made. That's brilliant. Right, point made pickleball. Uh, it's meant to connect the dots between the actual skill of being on the court and the mental game and the nervous system and the brain and the inner dialogue one has and the partnership that happens on the court and the patience when you're at the net. I mean, there's just so much. Like, I'm kind of wanting to write a book like uh, everything I know about life I can apply to pickleball. <laughs> How did you get into pickleball? So I moved to a community that has courts and I had literally never heard of the word pickleball. I mean, I know paddle and I know padel, which is that thing they do in Spain. And I know squash and I certainly know ping pong and tennis. And it's obviously a combination of all those things. But when I first moved here, I committed to walking more often. And that one day I was like, I don't want to walk, but there's this thing that I saw over there and it was pickleball courts. And I walked in and I actually was holding the wrong paddle and someone was like, do you realize this is pickleball? And I was like, pick a what? <laughs> and they, they 
they took me under their wings and they showed me the ropes and they, they got me on the court and they explained the rules, which I, you know, I love that it's a sport you can play at a superficial level and totally have fun, but it's also a sport you can study for the rest of your life and, and become quite a, you know, it's kind of a martial arts a little bit for me now, you know? So yes, I discovered it and I used to be very heavy. I used to be 350 pounds. And so working out has never been, if I work out, I, I break bones at that weight a little bit. And so I've never had a very good relationship with um, my body that way or being an athlete. Uh, certainly uh, the word was not used in my vocabulary, but now it is because I really am. It's like, it's different to be athletic than to be an athlete, I think. I'm not going to go to the Olympics, but the way I show up to play that game and the way I show up on the court, I don't know that I, I don't know anyone who's more committed. Like I play two, three hours a day and I do all these rituals and I do all this improvement and I study it and I'm an athlete. That's all there is to it. <laughs> it's so fun. So let's rewind a little bit. For those who are just meeting you so for the first time, I highly encourage to go listen to episode 118, where we go deep into so many things to your entrepreneurial journey, to how you started Shape House, to your journey with self-love and weight and be current. But for anybody who's tuning in for the first time, or maybe be current has changed so much that it needs a new explanation no matter what. So how do you explain be current these days and who is it for? How can people interact with it? Because I know for me in my life, it's been such a foundational practice of organizing all of my thoughts, all of my tasks, all of my to-do lists in every category of my life and decluttering my brain. So when I sit down in my office, I can feel like my computer is this Zen space where I can move things around and follow very clearly and tune into intuitively, not just you know strategically with my brain, but there's plenty of space built in for intuition in my experience where... I can feel into what's calling me today. What am I meant to give my energy to today? It's such a supportive system. So tell us about it. it I mean, you speak so much more beautifully even that I can speak of it because you, you, you use it and it has impacted you in a way that you speak of it poetically so beautifully. But in essence, yes, it is a methodology that I've developed running companies and writing books and doing all sorts of projects, small, big some that started one day and ended another day, and then some that will be for the rest of my life. And so those, those, um, the methodology helps people have a container where all that's happening in your head, as you described, or all what's want to happen um, from your projects finds a, a home, a home you trust. And as you described, you can move things around and you can follow your intuition. And when you sit down to work, there is this incredible peace of mind. I had a beautiful conversation with someone recently and I asked him if he would uh, describe what the work did for him. So he gives me this beautiful thing about, you know, how he's organized and he does the stuff and he knows his priorities and it's, it's all beautiful. And then the next day he calls me and he's like, no, 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 no. I'm like, what? And he's like, yes, it does all that. But he was sitting with his wife on a terrace somewhere and he experienced presence and peace of mind like he had never 
or in such a long time experienced. And so he was like, I want to correct my, the testimonial I gave you because really it's about that. It's about the fact that, and he has, he has ADD, you know, so there's a lot going on in his head at all times. But now that he's using the system, he, he's able to just like, you know, chill and, and be with himself and be with his wife and not be, oh, I forgot, what, what you, you know, like people that have like stuff in their head all the time and they're like jumping from one thought to the other and not, not really translating it into manifesting the stuff they want to manifest. So one way I love to speak of it is I help people with a lot of ideas executing the meaningful ones. Um, by giving them a system that they, you know, trust. That's that's what Bikaran does. Something that came through as you were teaching me the system is this board that was inspired by my friend Aaron Rose, who's been a guest on the podcast a couple of times. And it's a board that we created in our session that we called Surrender to God. So there's not just things to do this week and today and this month and when I have time. But there's also this board where things that just seem so grand and so beyond me and so beyond my control can just go on this virtual altar of, okay, this is my vision. I would like to hold space for it. I have no idea how to get there or when I'm met together, if I'm ever even meant to get there. But this is something that I would like to acknowledge and surrender. And having that category in my life has been so transformative. Do you still use it? I totally use it. And I recommend it to everyone now. And it's interesting to watch people call it, you know, incubate or meditate or pray or surrender. <laughs> it's like whatever the word is that one uses, but it's this idea that sometimes either you don't have enough information that you want to start putting actions into this, or maybe you're not even sure if it's aligned for you, or maybe it's not something you want to take on right now, but you wanted to give it some presence and life in, in your board. And so, yeah, I use mine all the time. I also use it honestly for things that not worry me because I'm not super worrier as a personality, but if something like I just found out my mom was a little sick, I'll put it on there because there's something about just giving something that I'm thinking about a space to, to be, be held, I think resolves it. I think it, it very often I'll put something on that list that's not resolved. And then without even noticing why or how, or something will occur, like someone will call or someone will send me an article and it's kind of the answer to that thing. And so, I mean, I, obviously I believe in things in the universe are in place and we can certainly if we are open to it, get some help and get some guidance. And so that, I love that you have it as surrender. It's, it's beautiful to just acknowledge like something is like beating my heart right now, you know, and it's not, we are not in charge of all those things that keep us alive. And I love the idea of just like declaring that it's so. I have quite a bit of things in my surrender to God board right now. I have new podcast art. Yes. Home in Austin. And then I also, I, oh my gosh, it's on there twice. Look at that. Surrendered it twice. And I also have this. <laughs> yes, I'm ready for it. And then I also have this reminder all in all caps no need to hustle or create anything new. What is already present within me? Wow. I like that too, because sometimes there's such 
such an internal pressure to be like, okay, what's next? What am I creating? What am I putting out there? But then when I drop into presence and I look around and I look at what I've created and what I've put out there, there's not necessarily even the need to create anything new. Maybe it's just taking from my bucket of what's already in existence and amplifying and giving it some love and revisiting it. And looking at my projects this way is super liberating. Thanks, Trello. Thanks, Bikarn. Thanks, Sophie. (laughs) Thank you for being, you kind of made my life, uh, not everybody is as uh, committed and clear and trusting. And so sometimes I'm like, oh, can you just not be a little bit more like that? Yeah, like that would be so much better. <laughs> but yes, like on mine right now is uh, there's this land that I, I, I want. I want to build a house. And I've been in the process of doing that for a little bit, not a lot of time. But it's interesting that putting it on there, I, I am, I'm certain, I'm certain that it actually creates more magic. And it's creating more, like this thing was not going to happen. And then this other person who got it that before us, you know, bailed out without so much as a, we don't even know why. So it's like the obstacles are being removed and, and things get more aligned and easier when, when we surrender. So I, I love, I love yours and I love that you have that. And yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a thing to be able to say, okay, here, universe, help me, you know, just. Mm-hmm. Powerful. This or something better. So if you're up yes. for it, I would love you to, to share the land story because it's quite a magical story. Yeah, sure. What part do you want to know? Uh, I'm particularly interested in why you left LA and moved to Arizona to begin with. And then all of the rituals that you've been doing around this new land that might end up being yours. I'm going to remind you, actually, that when I moved to Arizona, you gifted me this gorgeous feather as a way to bless the house I'm in. So there, it's still very close to me. Oh, yes. Eric made that. It's got the Palo Santo handle. It has, I mean, look at this. It has like this gorgeous crystal. I don't know if you guys can see out there, but it's just beautiful. So the departure from LA was incredibly aligned. It was a morning of my man and I were in bed waking up and he looked at me and he said, why do we live in LA? <laughs> and I, I could not come up with much. I really was, I was, I think it was the moment that I realized I was done. And so we, we were going to go the weekend. It was maybe on a Tuesday. And I said, why are we waiting for the weekend? Let's just go today. And we looked at our schedule and both of us, you know, it opened up like there was one thing and we could do it from the car. And so off we went. And then we decided to go rent a house possibly in an area that was high in, in altitude and had a lot of, you know, twirling around to get to it. And I, I got sick. And so it was kind of like, no, I don't, that's not aligned. But somehow, because we were there, we were called to go to this other area, which would, would have not been on our radar. I know it would not, I would have not, if I had seen it, I wouldn't have said, oh, let's go. But in this case, we were driving back from the mountain when I got sick and I was like, oh, there is this place. I mean, we're here. Let's go check it out. And then we drove up and it was just like, this is heaven. This is exactly what we want. And it has, it's a community. Um, They call it active living. I probably wouldn't have lived here when I was in my twenties, but right now it fits beautifully and it has the pickleball courts and it has, you know, it has a little bit of a resort feel to it, which is delicious. And we 
we met this woman who was like, hey, my friend is renting for a few months. And it was just so aligned. It was just so beautiful. So we've lived here since, and that is where we're buying a, a, a land. And so the, the rituals with the land have been incredible. We've been, Arizona has a lot of history with um, a lot of not respecting of other tribes and other people. And a lot of indigenous people lived here. And um, there is definitely a lot of blood that was shedded in this area. And so we, we've we gone a couple times, four times maybe, where we, we sit on the land and we just, we just thank them. You know, we thank the ancestors that lived here first and we express our gratitude that we're going to be the, the, the stewards for it now, you know, most likely. And it's, it's broad. I mean, I'm not a nature girl. I mean, I'm from Paris. Like I'm a, I'm a city girl, you know, and there I am sitting there and there's a bird that lands and it looks like it wants to talk to us. And we just sit there for an hour and just talk to the birds. <laughs> just like I've become someone that I would have mocked a little bit before, but you know, that's, that's growing up. Right. So besides talking to birds, there's something else that recently entered your life that you used to think, oh, no, this is not me. I'll never do this. This is for these kinds of people. And then it just whispered to you, and it was undeniable. And you agreed to share that story on the podcast. And I'm so honored to hold a space to hear the story about your journey with plants. Yeah, thank you for inviting me to do so, because I... It's become a very sacred thing. And I, um, so I, I used to do drugs in a way that were in a destructive kind of habit when I was very young. And I made a vow, I made a commitment in my early 20s that I would not do substances that would alter my consciousness. I was very proud I had found this way of saying it. I don't do substances that alter my consciousness. And that meant alcohol and it meant sugar and it meant obviously drugs. And and I kind of held on to that for a long time. It was maybe because when I smoked, I smoked three packs a day and, you know, I gained, you know, all the way up to 350 pounds. So I know that I'm a little bit extreme in my personality. And so maybe that was to protect myself against, you know, too, too much self-destruction before I was you know, in an act of self-love that I'm, that my life has become. And so my friends were doing a good amount of journeys and I, I even would mock, you know, like they'd be like, oh, we're going to do our medicinal journey and my healing plants. And I was like, yeah, you're going to do drugs for the weekend and you're going to get high and that's your way to, you know, just justify it. And I, you know, I have compassion for that self of mine that just didn't know. And sometimes when you don't know you, while well, I diss or mock or, or turn it into a little bit of a ha ha ha, you know, <laughs> bit of a joke. And then one day my, my man was invited to do a ceremony and I wasn't invited. It was a, a best, one of his close friends and it was their birthday and it was kind of like, I'm going. And I was like, okay. I mean, the part of me was a bit like, that's a big thing to be doing in a relationship without doing it together or even discussing doing it. You know, it was very much like I'm going. I was like, okay. So he goes and, and he's made that very public, you know, but his intention was to open his heart. Like he's felt as a masculine force in the, in, in the world, he's felt like his heart is not as open as it could be. And so that was his intention. And he comes back from the journey and I'm like, woo, 
<laughs> this actually feels really good, you know, and at the time it's, it's not even as grounded as it is now, but there was definitely a whisper. There was definitely a calling. There was definitely a dropping of judgment. Funny enough, when it was my, my time and I started really being called to go do it, one of my closest friends, Aaron and I, had discussed all along how we don't do that. We are connected. We don't need to do plans, blah, blah, blah. And so when I decided I was going to ready to go do it, I thought I better call her and share that with her because it felt like we, I mean, we didn't officially made a commitment, like we will never, you know, do it, but clearly we had connected around, you know, we, we would, we wouldn't do it. And so I called her up and I'm like, Hey, honey, <laughs> I'm feeling like I want to do it. Like, I think I'm ready. And, and she laughs on the phone and she's just like her head off. And I'm like, what, what, why are you laughing? And she's like, cause I was about to call you. I was just waiting, you know, for something that was happening in her, on her end, but I was going to call you to tell you that I wanted to do a journey and I was ready to do it. And I wanted to kind of like clear that with you. <laughs> So the two of us are laughing and of course we didn't do it together, but she went on to do one and I went on to do one. And it was, it was really, um, it was such a magical, powerful, sacred reset. Re, re, almost like maybe it brought me back to who I was before I knew what judgments meant or what judgments were to be put into motion. Like I, I felt like a baby a little bit, you know, while I was doing it. And I felt very um, innocent and I felt very, who told me these bad things about me, you know, that I bought along the way? Because they're not true. They're really not true. We, we carry a good amount of lies in our lives. You know, we don't deserve this and I'm not enough of that. And those are lies. It's bullshit. It really is. It's like, I'm a beautiful creature. I really am. And and so are you, and so is everyone. And I, I think we, the journey was that for me. It was reconnecting me to the before I knew fear, before I knew judgment, before I knew limitation. And so it was it was an incredibly freeing experience. I'm feeling it even as you speak about it. And I had this visual of creating a Trello board of the lies we tell ourselves and then somehow ceremonially pressing a button and it all gets burned like poof smoke <laughs> <laughs> you know how an iphone you can like do the fireworks and it just takes over the whole screen like can we do that with like fire and smoke i can probably come up with a way to do it yes i i, I really do think that part of the journey not the the plan journey but just the the being alive journey is that is like let's go revisit these things that I've believed my whole life. Like uh, someone said I was lazy when I was, uh, I don't know, seven. Like, what does that mean to be lazy when you're seven? It's like you're running around, you know, climbing trees. Like, uh, yeah, I don't even know what that would look like. But somehow I was already judged with that. And it's like, wow, I, I don't know anyone who's, la it's like, I'm so not lazy. But somehow I've run, I've run my tape inside as like that I am. And it's, it's not nice. You know, that thing of like, if you talk to your friends, the way you talk to your, to your soul, to yourself, you know, you wouldn't have a lot of friends. And I, I really subscribe to that. It's like, I, I treat my friends with such respect and such honor. And then I turn around and I'm like, you're lazy. It's like, what? <laughs> no, I don't want to do that. I don't do that anymore. Yeah. It really starts with self. I have, I have a mirror I'm looking at right now and 
I have post-its on every mirror right now. And it says, I love myself. I choose myself. Because I noticed that every time I pass by any reflective surface, if it's not 10 out of 10, there's going to be judgment that just like takes over my brain. Like, oh, what's going on there? What's going on there? You know, and before my brain isn't able to go there. Now I see this, I say it out loud. I look myself in the eyes and it totally rewrites the program. And it is so liberating. And I have so much more energy to actually do things that I love doing in the world. And it really shuts down a lot of that judgment. And it's amazing how simple it is, but it really is rewiring some pathways in my brain that I used to doing one thing and now is filled with a more productive statement. That's very true. Not only more productive, but kinder. It's like in that moment, why? I'm a very kind person. I'm a very gentle person. I'm generous. I'm a good friend. I'm like, I mean, all these beautiful things. And somehow along the way, lazy became more important. First of all, I'm not. And second of all, it has more power than I'm this generous, beautiful, funny, smart friend that I am. Yeah, it's, I really have started looking at those as actual lies. And when I formulate one, it feels like a lie. Like before, it's like, you know, the imposter, imposter syndrome, people feel like, they're lying when they're doing a good thing a little bit. It's like the opposite. It's like I, I, when, I, when someone said to me, oh, you're a great person, whatever, I'd be like, oh, if only you knew me or some version of like, oh, it's because you haven't seen me, you know, whatever, in the morning, whatever, you know? And now it's the opposite. Now it's like my, my whole internal conversation is sweet and kind and supportive and and I, I really kind of, now that I'm telling you about it, I feel like it really deeply shifted. I've been on the quest for a while. You know, like I can't say that it was like, it's like in my fifties, I started, you know, hoping that I'm going to forgive myself or something, but I feel like the journey really cemented it. Like it really, I looked at a tree when I was, you know, in the ceremony, I looked at a tree and it was all crooked and it had all branches and some had leaves and some didn't. And and I was like, is that not a beautiful tree? It's a beautiful tree. Like, and I just kept saying, like, it's a beautiful tree. And I, I think by saying that, I was also saying, I have leaves somewhere and somewhere I don't. And I have branches that are crooked, you know, and, and just this whole re, re-embracing all of this, all of it. And then be like, oh, what a, what a, what a, I'm so grateful to be in a journey, a life journey with this being as I would with a friend, you know. Yes. Before we continue, I want to share with you about Zencaster Creator Network, the sponsor of this episode. Have you ever bought anything after hearing an ad on a podcast? I know I have. Okay, this is really fascinating. One of my favorite podcast hosts of all time, send me a DM with your best guess if you want to find out who I'm talking about. So he ran an experiment in which he stopped doing ads on his show. The outcome blew him away. Because a massive amount of people asked him to bring back the ads. Turns out product recommendations is one of the reasons people love his show. They know that he only vouches for products that he personally tests and approves. That's been exactly my policy with ads on my podcast. And I've been so lucky to have incredibly aligned sponsors on this show. Here's another interesting fact. Podcast advertising is four times more effective than display ads for conversion. 67% of listeners remember brands they hear about, and 63% make a purchase. 
If you have a brand or a product that you're ready to grow, podcast ads could be an incredible thing. Whether you want to diversify your ad spend, add a new marketing stream, or test out podcast ads, Zencaster, a longtime partner of this show, now has its own creator network that makes it easy for brands to connect with podcasters with aligned content and audiences. Host-read ads, like the one you're hearing right now, are the most effective form of podcast advertising. Zencaster works with podcasters to help create unique-to-them ad spots that create brand awareness and conversion. Here's the thing, you don't need to have an enormous budget. Zencaster has been running pilots and has proven that smaller podcasts, when it's the right fit, can outperform bigger ones in a variety of verticals. If you're interested in sponsoring podcast ads for your business, and maybe even this show, go to zen.ai slash kbp. zen.ai slash kbp, short for Xenia Brief Podcast, and fill out the contact form so that Zencaster can help you bring your business story to life. You know, I had a very similar journey where in my early 20s, while growing up, I didn't drink or do any substances and I had no interest in doing them. I just was never drawn to them. And then when I was in my early 20s, I moved to San Francisco and I went to an art school and everybody around was smoking weed. And I remember I was dating someone at the time who was into that stuff. And so at some point I give and I'm like, all right, you know, I'll do this edible brownie with you. And it gave me the strongest paranoia that I've experienced in my life. I saw these gnomes in my calves and I couldn't look straight. My brain was just like exploding. I couldn't control my body and not being able to control my body or my mind was one of the scariest experiences ever. And I also very silly. I had things to handle that day. I had some meetings and people I needed to pass something to for my business. And I had to do it all through like being totally paranoid. And so after that, as it started, you know, coming down, I promised myself the same exact promise that you said in my early twenties, I'll never do any mind altering substances ever. For me, it meant drugs. It didn't mean alcohol. And for many, many years, I held that promise. And then at some point I got introduced to plant medicine and it clearly spoke to me. And then I had an experience with it and it led to the most profoundly healing experience within myself and all the child versions of myself at different ages. Like I had a very clear visual of holding them and loving them and speaking to them, them being me at different ages. And then I got a very, very clear assignment to go to Russia. I was like, okay, we're wrapped up with the ceremony here. I mean, you know, the voice of the consciousness of the plant. And it was told me, okay, your next step is no caffeine for three weeks and go see your family in Russia. And I was like, hold on, like I have a job, I have a life. What do you mean? Like I didn't have any trips planned. And so I was like, wait, do I believe it? Is my brain just making this up? Do I follow through? Is anybody going to notice if I don't? (laughs) You know, this whole like back and forth. And I did. I booked a trip like very last it all worked out with my employer at the time. And I went to Russia and I ended up having the most healing experience with my mom, just really asking her some questions about her upbringing and her relationship with her mom. And that revealed so much within like our feminine lineage of where I'm coming from and what are what is some ancestral trauma that we're all keep passing each other down. 
And it was really this moment that I think rippled not only into my life, into holding a vision for what I want to create instead of just passing on what's been done, but for my mom with her mom as well. And uh, that was just the beginning of the journey. You know, my first two journeys were very, very gentle. It's like, all right, inner child, family, we're going to be sweet with you, give you gentle homework. And then I've definitely had a couple of experiences that just took me through the birth canal, made me see the whole matrix and how the universe works. And I was like, whoa, coming back from that was like, hold on, where do I even begin? And that was my latest experience a few months ago where I realized that the place to begin unwinding that and integrating that was to actually just put my hands on my body take a really nice shower, put a really nice body oil and smother myself and all this good smelly stuff and be like, all right, my body is the portal of entry into all of the things I just saw. I don't have to go outside of myself. I don't have to change anything. I can always access it just by being present in my body because this is the body I was given in this lifetime. This is what we're working with. So might as well get into it and be present in it. And then everything else will be revealed and shown. And that's what I've been integrating since. That's why the podcast name changed since you last came on. That's why all the social media changed. That's why a lot of the offerings that I was doing and known for, they fell away because I realized for me right now, at this point of my life, my task is to embrace my name, who I am, my essence. And from there, there might be new projects and brands that sprout. But for now, it's just how can I be fully myself in the world and fully expressed, fully in my artistry, fully in my gift, and trust that I'm going to be taken care of. Trust that the opportunities will come, the money will come, that just by fully being me and sharing the messages that the divine is giving me, I am doing the right thing at the right time. Yeah. It's interesting seeing you. I thank you for sharing. That's also such a beautiful story. And I, I have a question for you because I'm curious if you experience something similar where I refer to the divine as, you know, like I'm, I'm wanting something more of or less of, I'm trying to resolve something. And it will take me a while to kind of come to my, my senses and, and actually ask for help or ask for guidance. And I'm curious to like, do you experience knowing that it would help you to connect to your inner answers or, you know, outer spirit, whatever, whatever, right. But like to, to surrender, as we were saying earlier, and somehow not, like, I feel like sometimes I know it would help and I don't do it. Like I almost like I'm punishing myself maybe a little bit. Does that resonate at all? Yeah. For me, the way that this shows up is there's like this inner knowing. I think we all perceive information differently. Some people hear voices, some people see visuals, some people receive information in dreams. Mine is uh, kind of a combination of all, but mostly it's a knowing, like deep in my gut. I just know. And so for me, it's typically, I just at some point get this glimmer of knowing. And sometimes it's like, all right, this is it. We're doing it. Take action right from there. But a lot of the times, it's cultivating that and creating space for that. And most importantly, creating space to trust it. Like the trust doesn't always come immediately. Sometimes it has to brew for a long, long time, way more than I'm comfortable with before I actually take action on it. But in terms of going against it, 
I mean, I always think, isn't getting off the path also part of the path that leads us more closely to where we were meant to be in the first place? And like all these detours, they just show you more strongly what the path is supposed to be in the first place. But without them, you wouldn't trust it. Yeah, not only that, but it would, it would, I would, if it was the first time, sometimes I feel like, well, should I have waited for the second thing or just to, 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 you're right. Whatever does not line up with what I thought is lining up because otherwise something else would be happening. <laughs> so something I've been thinking about that I would love to hear your experience with is how we do every little thing is so important and in the world we're in, we can't really separate who I am in my spiritual practice, who I am in my leisure time, who I am with my partner, and who I am in my business. So in your experience with your journey and your healing journey, how does this newfound remembering of kindness and being gentle to yourself, how does that translate to business in your experience? Oh my, everywhere. I more thank you for asking it that way too, because I feel like you by speaking to it, I feel like I'm giving it even more life. But I really have been lately, if something comes my way, so I'm on the phone and someone asks me to do something and and I don't immediately or pretty quickly feel this like alignment in my body, I will say no. Lovingly. I mean, I'm not not mean to people, but I'm definitely no longer doing things to be liked, to be polite, to be non-confrontational, you know, I'll, I'll just, uh, and, and funny enough, there's less and less things that are coming my way that I don't feel aligned with because I think I, I made it so very clear. It's like, no, I don't, that I don't do. And it, I don't not do it because I judge that it's not the right thing. It's just not the right thing for me for now. The Hendricks, Guy and Katie Hendricks have written many books about this, but they call it a full body yes. And it's it's truly like this experience of like, yes, like like my toes are saying yes, you know, not like, I don't know, maybe. Like I don't, I don't do those anymore. I, I do no's and I do yeses. And then in between, I kind of let it become a yes or a no, because that is where I find um, I'm the most gentle with myself. You know, when you look at your calendar and you booked something three weeks ago, but now it's coming and you're like, oh, why did I say yes to that? So now I've reversed that. I've, I've reversed engineered that. So now when something happens and someone says, do you want to do this? I, I literally put myself in, okay, it's three weeks from now. Okay, I'm getting ready to go. Am I happy to go? And if the answer is not like a resounding yes, I'm like, no, I'm not going to, because three weeks seems like, oh, by then, whatever. No, it's like every single moment has value, you know, and it, it's the way I use it and the way I choose to engage with it is adds up to life. You know, people don't realize it's like life is like a series of moments, you know, so I, I care for each moment to ensure that there's some of it I'm going to like, right? When it's towards the end. Yes, I resonate with that so much. I worked with my mentor, Michelle Sine, last year, and it was one of the most transformative experiences ever. And one thing she left with me, she kind of, it felt like a downloading a whole slew of blueprints of how to manage different situations, different patterns in my own brain and my soul. And I downloaded them and I'm still learning how to apply them to all the different situations. And one of them was this moment, there's not really like 
a time and we talk about this on episode 145 with her if anyone's curious to go further but i asked michelle what surrender means to her and she was saying how it's not this one-time choice you make i am surrendering but it's a moment to moment it's every moment tuning into okay my inbox is full and scanning energetically every email and saying right am i meant to respond to this am i meant to respond to this and some of them will be delete and that will be the most actually seemingly unkind thing to do to some of our brain patterning, you know, being a nice girl, being kind, being polite. But in reality, that and actually might be the kindest thing we can do to them because they weren't meant to email us in the first place the way that that interaction was going to happen then and unfold that way. So it's trusting that what's best for me, and when I say a firm yes or a firm no, is also best for everyone involved and trusting that gut instinct, that intuition, and that guidance. And it's so liberating to do that and to not no longer do anything out of obligation or because we agreed to three weeks ago or because we think this will be a good thing for our business. I've been really stepping into that the past year or so. And oh my goodness, it is so, so liberating. And I'm so happy how the way you shared it and put it into words, you know, and as someone in the world who has created such successful businesses and a name for yourself. It is so wonderful to know that, yes, we can live that way. And yes, at the same time, we can build very successful things in the world. Yes. Actually, I think maybe the, the era that we're in is around, I remember, you know, the Dalai Lama said the 21st century shall be feminine, you know, not women, but in the feminine energy, or it won't be at all. And I remember a few years ago being coached by someone in my, the whole energy feminine and masculine and which is what. And, you know, as women, a lot of us have felt the need to become more masculine so we can make it in the world. Or, And I remember sharing with him and saying, you know, I'm in my job all day and I'm leading this company. There's like 350 employees and, and I have to be in my masculine because otherwise, blah, 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 blah. You know, and I'm like so convinced, you know, that it's my masculine and my structure that's going to, you know, make it happen. And, and then I, I was telling him, and then I enter my relationship at night and I, it's hard to turn it off. And he was like, no, 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 no. You have it completely wrong. You don't need to turn it off because during the day you want to be in your feminine. You want to lead from your feminine. You want to listen and you want to have intuition and lead from that place. And I remember at the time hearing him a little bit like, yeah, right. That's a guy that says that, you know, like you don't have to to defend yourself every day, you know, as a woman in the workplace, whatever. And honestly, I don't even think that I've had to defend myself as a woman in the workplace that much, but culturally there's been this thing, you know, for, and certainly a lot of women have um, dealt with that. But I remember thinking, you mean I could be in my self, <laughs> my regular true sacred self all day long. Like there's no need to hide and box it and make it smaller and, quieter or and he was like no the world is dying from you shrinking this and i i made the vow that day like i remember thinking you know what i will be my crazy full intuitive powerful quiet self all at once i you know so i i relate to what you just said very much you mentioned being coached and we haven't, I don't think we've covered this in our last conversation. And I would love to kind of get a glimpse into the world of 
how Soph got into personal development, into law of attraction, into spirituality and all these things and how it's impacted your journey. Wow. That is one of the most beautiful. I remember our first interview, I remember hanging up going like, these were the best questions anyone's ever asked me. Doing it again. You know, there was an experience when I was two that I remember, and I was still wearing diapers, so probably pre-verbal. And my mom was, my parents played golf, and it was a night where they were playing longer than planned. And there was this house that was called La Maison des Enfants, you know, the houses of children, where basically we would get dropped in the morning and then they would go play golf all day and then they would pick us up at night. And there's, and this one time, I guess the person who was in charge of La Maison des Enfants had to go. And I mean, it wasn't closed. It was unclosed, meaning I was safe. Like it wasn't like I was not left in the middle of the road or anything. I was in a sandbox. And I think it may have been minutes, not you know, it felt like probably a few hours, but it really wasn't very long. But I remember being sitting in the sandbox and the sky was, you know, changing color. And as you know, in Europe, you know, there's often these like this bright orange sky and, and my diaper, which is why I remember so vividly, it's, it's kind of, and nobody was there. There's no photos. So it's not sometimes, you know, you remember the photos that someone shows you, you know, later. And this was definitely a moment with myself. And I remember hearing knowing, as you said earlier, like maybe my version of spirituality comes through my knowing, but something along the lines of like, it doesn't look like it right now, but you are fine. You are going to be fine. You are safe. I've got you. Something along, oh, it just me, chokes me just to remember. It was just this moment of like, it's going to look really rocky for a while, but I've got you. And I've always felt flattened. You know, like I've always, even it did get rocky, you know, gained 200 pounds and had sex with people I didn't even know and got really close when I was like the crazy AIDS time and didn't get sick. And just so many times of like this little like, oh, I was just saved, you know, gotten. And so I, I think that was the beginning of this knowing and it still, it still completely operates. Like when something happens and it's like, looks like a catastrophe, I'm like, hmm, I'm gotten, like, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm going to be taken care of. And that's kind of the spiritual connection, I would say, is through that thread, you know, of knowing that I'm okay. And then self-development came a little bit more, I don't know, more violently almost or more abruptly. I, my, one of my dearest friend died of a aneurysm when we were 19 years old and she basically dropped dead and we were having dinner that night and she didn't show. There was three of us and my friend and I were like, what's going on with Gina? Where is she? Where is she? And, you know, we didn't, we didn't have cell phones, you know, it was a, a while ago. And finally the next morning we found out that she had had this aneurysm and dropped dead. And I think that was like that mirror that you were talking about, you know, experience where I remember looking at the mirror when I found out, like minutes after I found out and just looking in there and looking in my eyes and being like, okay, so that's the path. You know, that's one path. Like we were doing, she was with us on the whole drug, sex and rock and roll. And it was like, if you keep going, you know, that's where you're heading. So per se, I'm okay with it, but know that that's where we're going. So is that what you want? Did I say to myself in the mirror? And I said, no, that's not what I want. I have 
a big life to live and I, I need to be doing it and going to do it. So I started doing, I was smoking three packs a day. I signed up for this workshop completely accidentally. I was coming to have dinner with a friend and she had said nine and I heard eight. Does it even sound the same? <laughs> but I showed up in that hotel to have dinner with her and there was this workshop that was called Victory, Victoire sur le tabac, Victory on your tobacco or something. And I was like, well, I'm here, you know, and I smoke. Talk about divine well. intervention. <laughs> oh my God. And I walked in and the guy hands me an ashtray that's, that tells you, I mean, you could still smoke in like, you know, hotels. And so, and I'm like, well, this is a place to stop smoking, but you're handing me an ashtray. That's kind of cool. And everybody's smoking because we're smokers, you know? So the guy was very much into, and so he started this work about, the the filter that it it puts in front of you you know the smoke and the, the 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 curtain that's in front of you hiding you know hiding you and and I, I remember it was it was the beginning of my j deliberate you know as an adult I'm gonna save my life kind of journey for sure and I I did eight weeks of something that was in, along the lines of like if you smoke when you're tired to wake you up and then you smoke when you're excited to calm you down it's not the cigarette right like there's something about if it does all these things it's probably not the it it's it's the you that's you know giving it it's it's that job and so it it started demystifying all of that and cracking the whole i don't want to feel my feelings because i don't know what to do with me, my feelings that were so painful at the time and so sad and so angry and lonely and all that stuff was being covered up, you know, by cigarettes and then for a while by food. And, and then that was the beginning of a quest that ended up, I wrote an article. I was a correspondent for a French magazine about psychology for a long time. And they had me write an article. I'll never forget. It was illustrated with a You know, those games that are like life, you know, you follow a certain path, you know, you're like, if you do five, you know, you get to this little square. And if you do seven, you know, this other square. And so they designed it, the, the, the way they illustrated my article, which was called, I've tried it all. It had this, like every square was like, you know, a silent retreat and a celery eating, you know, three week fast and a workshop, you know, where you jump off a bridge and a walk on fire and, you know, therapy, like pretty much everything. I mean, at the time, I think the three packs of cigarette, that, that level of extreme commitment or engagement translated to self-development, thank God, because that at least was not, you know, so I started doing a lot of workshops and One of them was called Insight, I'll never forget. And that was the beginning of, okay, I'm lovable. I'm a good person. I deserve good things, you know, which at the time I didn't know. I didn't believe, certainly. So that never stopped. I have a certain, now I'm a little more, I don't feel like I'm broken that needs fixing, which was the case then. Now it's more like, well, that sounds interesting. You know, go for a week and journal on the beach, you know, that. I'm in, you know, but it's not coming from the same place. It really, for years, it was more like something's wrong with me and I need to, you know, fix this broken machine. So you were still in Paris during that time. And in one of your Instagram posts, which I'm so excited to see that your voice is now active and on Instagram, 
bookmarking that whole topic of social media because I'd love to dive into that a little bit too. But in one of your posts, you wrote that you've always been American by heart. So how did you know that? How did you determine that I was American? Because I know for me growing up, I was like, I just need to be somewhere where they speak English. Like that's how it started. And I looked at schools in Ireland and England first and then even Italy. But I was actually too young to apply to any of them. I was 15 when I graduated high school. And they said, well, you got to wait until you're 18. And I said, all right, I'll just go to college in Moscow. And then my parents said, we can revisit this conversation and see if you still want to go somewhere. And luckily it all worked out and I could come to America, but I didn't know that I was American at heart too. So what was your experience discovering that? And what was your journey? It was very much around, I think it started with music, you know, like I, it was the period where, you know, rock and roll and certainly the British influence, but also American was um, flooded France. And I, I went to England as well. I mean, there was definitely, it's funny that you're saying it. I'm thinking maybe it was the language, the language of English because I, although I didn't like being in England so much. So no, but I, I think there was a clear, like I would see an American movie or I would, you know, read something about an American, just the freedom and like this whole like dream, you know, the land of the possibilities and all of that, that I had studied in school and, and read about. And, and then my brother went to Stanford while he was in school, like he was, there was a year of his university had to be somewhere else and he picked Stanford and I went to visit him and I did not like Stanford or San Francisco, actually. That was a little, it was almost like Paris. I was like, well, if I want a precious little people at cafes, you know, might as well stay in Paris because it's, you know, it was the same thing, but smaller. But my friends, my, my brother's friends needed to drive this Cadillac to LA. I don't, don't ask me why, but it was this giant convertible pink Cadillac and they were all drunk, but the car had to be in LA the next morning. And I did not even know how to drive. I had driven golf carts, which Americans cars are, you know, golf carts, like there's no speed, right? Like we have in Europe. And, uh, and I was like, okay, well, they're all drunk. So I'm just going to throw them all in the car and I'm going to drive. I'm just going to drive from Stanford to LA, which involved driving along the PCH. And I remember Christopher Cross <laughs> was on the radio, like right like the wind. And I remember like, I, I, I listened to that song a hundred times on the road, like literally it was a little cassette tape and I would just like rewind and the, the boys are sleeping and drunking over there. And I'm just like, you know, like, right, like the wind, you know, with the wind in my hair and the PCH. And I was just like, heck, this is, this is the life I want. Like I need, this is my life. I mean, I just felt, and I remember having this experience in my chest of like, oh, this is what breathing deeply means. Like I remember realizing how shallow my breathing had been my whole life, you know, just like this survival <gasps> a little bit, you know, just in, in fear all the time that I felt in France. and. And then I bought a pair of Nike shoes, which in the, in, did not exist in France. I will tell you, there was no global market. And I bought a shirt at UCLA, UCLA, UCLA. <laughs> I bought a sweatshirt and uh, brought them back to France. And then I pretty much plotted my departure. You know, I just, I started studying English really actively and I got jobs where I had to speak English and meet Americans. And, and then... One day I was just dating the wrong schmo and in a job I didn't like and a house, I mean, just all of it was just like, I've got to get out of here. And I looked to my closet and I saw the pair of Nike at the bottom of my 
closet. And I had said, you know, like, I will not wear these shoes until I wear them to go and move to America. And so I, I basically put them on and it was December something, 12, 1992. And I moved January 1st, 1993 with my Nikes and my Ucla, my Ucla t-shirt. <laughs> How did you make it so quick? You know, I had a little bit of money. I had like $3,000 and I got on a plane, which God knows I would never do again. There were three stops. It was like a three-legged trip from Paris, which I don't like flying to begin with. So it was a bit of a nightmare. Oh, a friend of mine had that I had translated a workshop for learning English, you know, as I, as I wanted, I became a translator for these seminars. And I, I asked and she said, you can live at my house for three weeks. That's it. After that, you have to find your own thing. And so I had a home for three weeks and literally to the day she was like, okay, you've got to go now. <laughs> and two nights later, I went to a party because a friend of mine, oh, that is such a bizarre, a friend of mine who was very, very heavy. I had said to me that she wasn't dating because she was so heavy. And I had found a party that was called More to Love. And it was about women that were super, super heavy and men who came because they wanted to date really heavy women. But out of generosity, I just went with her. Mind you, I was, I was a skinny birds in that crew. Like they were 600 pounds up or something like, and I felt like, oh my God, this is fun. Like I'm, I'm the one, you know, here that's a little more small, but I met this guy at the party who his father, such a crazy story. I haven't told that story in like 20 years, but basically the father had ordered the assassination of his ex-wife and he had been sent to jail. I know this crazy story. And so oh when I meet gosh. this guy, Carrie Green, wherever you are, dude. But he says to me, I don't know you very well. Obviously, we just met tonight, but would you mind moving into my father's house? Because I'm going, I'm traveling, and he is in jail for the rest of his life. And I'll give you a thousand dollars. I'm not kidding. This was like, I will give you a thousand dollars a month, which at the time was so much to live on. And all you need to do is make sure the cat doesn't die and you feed the plants, water the plants. And then make sure the gardeners come once a month or whatever. And that was that. And he handed me the key and walked away. And I was like, I, I, I guess I'm meant to be here because I have this house for now. you know. And he sold, they sold the house like a year and a half later, two years later. And I was in the house for this whole time with no rent. <laughs> that was fun. That was really, you know, sometimes the, the signs are just so clear, you know, because I couldn't have afforded it. I couldn't have done it. And, I, and it was just, just beautifully lined up. And you couldn't have planned it. And I think the couple of elements that are beautiful to kind of amplify with our intention, one, is that you did this whole thing out of helping someone else. And when we're of service, I feel like we become these magnets for our paths and what we're meant to bring into our lives. And then the second part of it was you just trusted. You didn't have a place to stay. You didn't have any security or any promises. You just trusted and you took it moment by moment and you showed up to the next place where your intuition and life guided you. And you said yes to this crazy proposal that you could have never planned out. Did you even like cats? It was, I know, I know. It, it was just, I look back, I mean, I've had so many since and not to, I don't ever want to be blasé about them, you know, because it is magic and it is miracles and but that one was just like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, 
in an area that I loved and I was able to go study. I mean, it was just such a thank you, especially because my life to then, to that moment had been rough, you know, like rough, rough beginnings and just rough beginnings. And so there was something about, ah, I'm on my way to something better, you know, like I'm, I'm, I've reversed the, I've reversed the tide. That's what it felt like. You know, today's a very special day for me. Last time we spoke, I shared with you that I recently had my ceremony, oath ceremony. I became an American citizen and it's real, but it doesn't feel fully real until I get my passport, which I'm supposed to get in like mid-May or June. And I go to the post office today and I get a little priority mail thing that is shaped exactly like their passport should be there. And I open it up and my passport is here. The whole process took years less than anybody predicted. You know, the Department of Homeland Security, like all of these different governmental organizations, they're like, this is going to take 18 months and this is going to take three months. Everything took like five months altogether. And when I saw this passport today, I was like, wow, this, this little paper and plastic object is a symbol of so many moments of choosing my dream over and over, trusting the unknown. And interestingly, like there's so many moments in your story that mirror my own, you know, the promise that we both made in our early twenties. And then when I was a teenager, I was, remember being in Moscow and the winters were so long and it would get dark so early and like it would get very depressive for me. And the thing that would keep me excited about life is watching these reality MTV shows. I loved watching the Hills and like all of these making of music videos, like behind the scenes peeks into celebrities and musicians lives. And somehow it just embedded this image in my head of living in California, having long blonde hair and driving a convertible on the PCH. <laughs> I should have picked you up. <laughs> Exactly. So so that whole image was what drove my whole move and going to San Francisco and figuring out how to get my visas and stay here and this whole journey to the passport. And it's also been a journey of trusting it moment by moment, even in all of the situations where I've been told no, where I've been told you have 60 days to pack your bags and leave. It's such a, I just love hearing your story reminds me and everybody listening how our lives are this cluster of divine interventions and reminders. And when we live that way, and when we create space to actually listen to that guidance, it becomes just so much more joyful and peaceful and fun. Yeah. And when you said that, I also remember being younger and not having done the kind of work I have done now. And at the time, my gut, my inner voice, it was saying, you know, eat chocolate cake and go, yes, go sleep with this guy that you don't even know his name. You know, there was something about it that I thought it was that. But, but now I know that the voice that I want to listen to is very kind. You know, there's no shame. There's no guilt. There's no, but, but there was some work. I don't know for you, like, but I feel like there was a translation to what that voice, I mean, maybe we have multiple voices inside of us, you know, like maybe there is a self-destructive voice that also whispers, you know, the famous, like, is there an angel and a little devil on each shoulder, you know? And, but I definitely, I encourage, sometimes I coach people and they're like, well, my inner voice tells me to go to bed at 3am or whatever. And I'm like, mm, 
I'm wondering if that's the voice of I want to stay up and watch TV, you know, and not rest and not take care of myself because I, I think the, the voice at least I want to listen to is very caring. It's a very loving, parenting, caring texture. You know, it doesn't have a, sure, let's go do something so dangerous that I could die. You know, like that's not my, my inner voice now doesn't speak like that. So I, I just wanted to make a distinction because for a long time, it sounded like it was guiding me from the inside. Like, I want to be loved for my soul. You know, let's gain 300 pounds, like whatever. And it's like, nah, that wasn't so good for me. You know, like I, it's just the bone structure is not meant to be carrying the weight I was carrying. And it wasn't such a loving act. And so somehow make sure that the voice we listen to is one that's supportive and guide us to things that are, I don't know. I don't know exactly what I'm going after, but I want to make sure I want to make sure that people don't trick themselves into, well, my inner voice said to dump my job or you know just whatever. Make sure there is like a little bit of a of a due diligence, you know, with your own inner voice, maybe. Yeah, for sure. I resonate with that, and I still find voices in my head that I didn't know I have. They're like these filters that just exist, and just last year through the mentorship that I went through, I was able to identify that I do have these like harsh critic self-judgment voices. And I didn't even know, I had no idea just how much in my life I'm filtering through that. So someone else lovingly shining the light on that now allows me to be like, hold on, who's talking? And am I going to choose to believe you? Yes. Because we, like we, it's funny, like we're wrapping up with the, what we said at the beginning, there are lies that live inside of us. We're not lying. But for me to believe that I don't, I don't deserve to be loved, that's a lie. That's a lie. It's like, why do I, you know, why did I walk my whole life or a, a big chunk of my life with I'm not enough or I'm too much, you know, either one or whatever I use, you know, to judge myself, which now seems a little bit silly. Like, it's a little bit like, what, why did I give it so much? But that's the prompter of the journey you know, wanting to resolve those things is what got me on the road. So yay. But, and I want to make sure I sift, like you said earlier, like who's talking, who's saying I can't do this. So who's saying I should do that. That's, you know, I think the work is to make sure who you, like your friends, would you spend time with a friend who doesn't believe in you and doesn't think you deserve anything? It's like, that'd be like, you're not my friend. So to, to kind of use that as a, as a, barometer of our own, you know, am I being a friend to myself? I think is a very good, it's a very, very good question. All right. So the, maybe the final topic that I would love to get into a little bit is social media. Last time we spoke, you had the Be Current social media profile that was kind of active, not really. And your personal was very sporadic as well. And now you have this like whole renovation on your social media page. And it's so, I mean, it's all, it's always been very like intriguing and beautiful and well-spoken and inviting, but there's this like, there's this new level of open invitation within the texture of it. That is so powerful. I would love to know what led you there and what your current experience of social media is. You know, I, uh, it's such a big topic of our generation, I guess, or our, the life that we're in right now and how we went from, some brand has the dollars to buy space on television to convince you to buy their product. 
to now being completely owned by the people, you know, and people that have influence on others. And that is really now where the conversation is happening as opposed to top down, you know, a brand shoves it down your throat, you know, now it's a dialogue and it's a conversation and it's a, Everyone that has something to say can say it. And I love the freedom of that. I, Similar to when my daughter started to get tattoos, there was a sense of like, I raised that child to be free and to be autonomous and independent. And now, do I like that there's tattoos all over? <laughs> Maybe not, but you, you, I can't take it back. And so it has that, I celebrate her freedom more than I have to like, you know, what she is into. And the parallel for me with social media is the price we paying sometimes from the too much of it is also everyone has a voice. Everyone today that wants, maybe not everyone, but there's definitely an enormous opening for people that never would have had a chance to build a platform or to speak to people. Like you can, you can, I saw the other day, there was someone who has a following around purple dresses and red hats. Have you ever heard of this? It's like millions of people are following this thing where it's like they meet each other with their purple dresses and their red hats. And, and I'm like, who, <laughs> where, where did that start? And where, how would I, how would they have found each other, you know, if it wasn't for these platforms? So I switched because I like photography and I really like sharing wisdom. And I think it's a fun way to do it. I'm not as um, obsessed may not be the right word. I'm not as, you know, than some people that I know, but, but I like, it's like having someone for dinner a little bit, like let's chat about something or let's launch a topic about something. And I don't know, maybe I've healed my, for a while, I just didn't understand it probably. And I was just doing it personally. And now I understand that it carries the message of my brand and that it's a way for me to share with people that may never work with me. And they still, it's still interesting to share the, the wisdom with one another, I guess. I don't know if there was a particular, that's what came when you asked. Yeah, no, this is, uh, I think our intention with it and the analogy you gave, it's like going to dinner with someone. It is this invitation into your world. And when we come from to social media from that place of, let me just like share my world. Let me connect. Let me explore. Like, let me open myself up to miracles and magic. When we come to it from that place, that's what we get. That's what shows up in our home feed. That's what shows up in our DMs. That's the opportunities that come our way. And anytime that kind of balance shifts into what can I get? Like, how can I get likes? How can I get famous? How can I whatever, you know, the outcome that we've been programmed to think we need from social media, when that, when that thing is out of balance, then it just becomes like a prison cell. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think it, I, I trust people, you know, it's going to balance itself. Like there is always a little bit of a pendulum uh, where people just go so far, like for a while, all you could see on Instagram was these lives that had little to do with life, you know, of people. And I think it's still true, but now you also see, you know, people showing and revealing, you know, the harder, more vulnerable parts. And it's like everything else. You can do social media the way people gamble and watch porn and, and do too much alcohol, you know, and you can do social media as one would do. That's a fun way to connect with people that I would have otherwise never 
heard of or been able to connect with. So if you enter it with health and, you know, a certain, as you said, generosity, and then it's healthy. If you enter it from a place of ego and fear and comparison, like everything else, that's not, that's not going to be serving much for you. So I think it's... Or enter it from a place of entering a sacred ceremony. What's my intention today? Exactly. Exactly. And if you enter anything like that, if you enter the bank like that, if you enter the tax, you know, filling process, it's like all of it is you bring, you bring half the party, you know, or, or more. So whatever you bring, like people that are complaining about social media, I'm always like, don't be on it. Who cares? It's like, you don't have to do everything. Like that's, it's not for everyone. It's not for all the time. It's not just do what serves you. And if it serves you to do it and it serves to, to connect with people that you can help, it's like, that's a pretty cool way that you can be talking to someone. Like someone posted something today about a, a camp in Ukraine that's being really helpful. And some celebrity did this whole little interview on, on Instagram and I was very touched. It was very, very moving to see with my own eyes something that I would never otherwise see. And I was like, that's a beautiful way to use our means of communication, you know? Yes. And you're right. Entering it with the intention of creating something, because what I've seen quite a bit is I posted something the other week that was kind of controversial of, you know, are our devices always listening to us? It was like meant to kind of like stir up and feel out what people are sensing about that. I think a lot of us know that it's the possibility is high that they are. Um, and yet we still choose to engage. And I think it's because the benefit we get from being active on social media it outweighs anything it could be possibly getting from us. And I, there were a couple of comments from very nice people saying, you know, kind of like pressing this fact in. Yeah, like we're always listened to and like very like destructive from my experience. And I was like, well, if you feel about social media this way, why are you on it? You know, why would you be giving your precious energy to something that you are so passionately against? And that's uh, that's such a beautiful invitation, like really mic drop, living life as a ceremony that you're leaving us with. And, you know, choose what you want to believe, choose what you want to give your energy to and be present to what we're creating with our thoughts, with our time, with what we say yes to. This was such a, I feel like we went on so many, many journeys with the journey of this conversation, like a spiral. Um, as we wrap up, so what are some of the best ways for people to connect with you and how can they experience Be Current? BeCurrentToday.com is online as a, it's a community now. There's a good amount of blogging and quiz taking and like, you know, the usual the usual suspects, um, but it's uh, it triggers good conversations. It's it's a fun topic, you know. How do I spend my life, and how do I spend my time, and how do I heal my relationship with my past? You know, when it comes to productivity and and the stuff I've been able to accomplish and not, and it's just it's a beautiful platform to debate all this. So, by all means, come visit. And. Um... Before we officially wrap up, is there anything I didn't ask you about that you feel called to share? I just love you. I just love that people like you walk this earth and do what you do. And it's just, it's amazing that we get to share life at this moment right now, like this moment right now, you know, it's such a special, 
So it's such a special thing. So thank you for that. No, there's nothing else I want to say but to thank you and tell you that I love you. Thank you so much. This was such a treat. Such a, such a treat. This is, uh, I think, going to be episode 200. So it's a very ceremonial kind of portal number. I like. <laughs> yes. Celebrating it all. Thank you so much, Soph. And I'll talk to you soon. If you're moved by what was shared in this episode and not sure how to take action, start by writing it down. When we notice abundance and clarity in all shapes and forms and honor it, it grows. And if you're called to share the podcast with someone who you know is ready to receive it, follow that. Find all episodes, show notes, and current offerings on XeniaBrief.com. Subscribe to Xenia Brief Podcast on Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and a review, and take one deep breath into the knowing that's already within you.